If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple of passages, and I invite you to look at those uh, as we read from our Lord's Word in Matthew chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 6, Matthew chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 6. Uh, as we begin here this morning, I want to read something to you. Well, a, lot of, a lot of you are probably saying, why do we have to talk about baptism? I've already been baptized. I already know everything. Um, and let me just say this. It is always good for us to understand and to remember and to celebrate uh, the commandment and the ordinance of baptism and the new life that we see being given as a testimony of the faith that has already uh, transmitted, that has already been conveyed to those who trusted Jesus Christ and following in believers' baptism. And here's another, here's another reason why. Baptism without God. I read this. This was in USA Today. And uh, here's, here's a report from the newspaper. U.S. Today reports new baptism-style ceremony where God is never mentioned. Parents who are seeking to initiate their child into the world of all faith, says Emma Drillard, who is the, uh, the CEO and owner of Ceremony Way. She conducted such an event for Kirsten Alston in Marion, California, uh, for their baby, Greer. We just wanted a larger spirit to guide our daughter, but we didn't want to get specific. We just wanted to cover all our bases, said Mrs. Alston. The couple grew up as Christians, but they said, you know, really, we just do Christianity light right now, and that's what we want for our daughter. Matter of fact, we believe in angels, fairies, leprechauns, and, and all sorts of things. Thanks very much. These things bring to mind what, uh, what Chesterton said is a, a man who won't believe in God will believe in anything. And it's kind of funny to me that we can come to a place in our society, in our world today, where we recognize that there is some level of importance, but we don't really know and we don't really care. We're just going to try to cover as many bases as possible. And which leaves me saying, then, why? What difference does it really make? Why should we even consider baptism? What does the Bible say about baptism? Now, let me say this right up front. Uh, you've heard me talk about this before. Tenets, teachings, and tastes. And I just want to re-emphasize that for those of you who are new or who have forgotten. First of all, we have tenets that define us as Christians. They define us as a faith. We believe that these to be the non-negotiables. These are what make us Christians. If you don't believe these, then you have to ask yourself, is that really Christianity at all? And I would say no. And I believe the Bible teaches no. So what are tenets of the faith? Well, let me give you a couple. First of all, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That is a tenet of the faith. If you don't believe that, then it's not Christianity. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our salvation and that through His sacrifice, through His atoning blood, we are forgiven. It is transferred to us for those who believe and receive of His forgiveness. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Those are tenets of the faith. Tenets of the faith. So, 
If it's a tenant of the faith, and I recognize, okay, I just recognize that it's spelled wrong. Uh, that's what happens with spell check when you try to do theology terms sometimes. Nevertheless, um, the tenets of the faith are the de- death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That we believe not only that Jesus died, but that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again. And it's because of that resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that we have life. So those are some basic tenets of the faith. Now, what are some teachings? Now, let me define the difference between tenets and teachings. Tenets are non-negotiables. They what they're what define us as believers in Christ. Now, teachings we may not agree with that, but that doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Okay? Just because you don't agree with my teaching on an issue. Okay, so when we're talking about teachings, they're important because you have to have teachings because that's what defines you as a church and also as a denomination. A lot of people will say, why do we even have denominations? I don't think we should have any denominations and there should be none. Well, one of those one of the reasons that we have it is because we can't agree on baptism. I would say maybe one of the top two, if not number one reason that you see different denominations because people have different perspectives on how baptism is done, why it's done, where it's done, when it's done, what it means. And so that is significant. And again, you may not take the same position that I'm going to take today and we take as a church, and that doesn't mean that I don't believe you're a believer in Christ. Okay? That doesn't mean that I think you're going to hell or whatever it is that you want to make up and get mad about. Okay? But we have to have a teaching. And it is the best of my ability, interpretation of Scripture, the position that we're about to discuss and we're about to look at. Plus, I paid really good money to study this in seminary and spent a long time there. Okay? And I believe it to be the correct view, but I recognize as we discuss this, you may take a different position, but we can still be believers in Christ. We can still have fellowship together. But I think it's important that we have a stand, too. Okay, and so that's what we're going to talk about in teaching today. And then last, taste. And we've talked about this before. Many people will make their decisions about God and about church and about how they worship due to taste. And you know what? That's a big piece of it. People are always going to consider taste. We always want to start with the tenets. Is, does this faith, does this denomination, does this church believe in the tenets of Christianity? What are the teachings and then we can go to taste. And what are taste? Well, what kind of music are we doing? The pastor wears a golf shirt instead of a robe. It drives me crazy. I don't think that's a real church. Well, that's a taste issue. Okay? Oh, do we do small groups? Do we do Sunday school? What does your building look like? What kind of music do you do? Those are all issues of taste. They're not in the Bible for you. Okay? Those are all issues of taste. It's just like I personally hate all diet drinks. Okay? So let's just say I don't like Diet Coke. So if I don't like Diet Coke, and you do, does that mean you're wrong? Well, you say Diet Coke is good. I go, no, it's not. It's bad. It tastes awful. I hate it. I'm right. You're wrong. No, that's a taste issue, okay? So just recognize uh, when you don't like the songs that we do or when somebody moves too fast or whatever, that's an issue of taste. It's not a biblical issue, and it's fine that that's your taste, but it doesn't make you right or me right. It's an issue of taste. Now, we're going to talk about a teaching today. We're going to talk about two teachings. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to visit briefly about communion. Now, as we look at the 
teaching on baptism, there are multiple passages in here. And Jesus Himself, when He gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, what did He say? What did He say? He said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. Our leader, our Savior, our Lord told us to baptize. So it's not up for debate whether we should do it or not. The question is not should baptism exist. You know, it's the same, really, the best uh, kind of earthly analogy, if you'll permit me to use that term, as when I got ready to go to Africa a couple of weeks ago, before I could get a visa, they wanted to see two forms of identification. They wanted to see two different types of identification. Well, I have a driver's license and I have a passport. And both of these identify me as a citizen of the United States. Now, just because I don't have these doesn't mean I'm not a United States citizen. As a matter of fact, I could even have those and it doesn't make me. But if I don't have these and I don't present these, then there's a lot of suspicion, particularly when I'm trying to come into the United States from another country. I, I really am. I don't do those things. And they're going to say, and we don't let you in. Okay? And it doesn't mean I'm not a citizen, but this is an identifying marker. This is in a form of identification. In my hand, this is a picture of when I was married. I'm 14 years old right there when I, when I was married. And this is a picture of that ceremony. This is an identification of my commitment to my wife. Also, I wear a wedding ring. And baptism is kind of like a wedding ring. It's a picture. It is a symbol. And I will say this. I believe there's something mysterious that happens when we get baptized, but I can't tell you what it is, and I can't put that on paper. I think there's something extremely spiritual that transpires when we are baptized. But I know this at a minimum. What I can tell you is Jesus commanded me to do it, and that it is a picture of my commitment to Christ as well. So, as we look at that, I think it's important for us to understand and recognize that Jesus definitely commanded that we be baptized. Now, Again, semantically, whether we call it ordinance or sacrament this morning, I want you to know uh, we're talking about the same thing here. And there are three common views to baptism when we look at baptism. Uh, the first are those who look at baptism, and they will traditionally pr practice it at, at birth, that it is the washing away of original sin. The washing away of original sin. So that's one view uh, that some people in some denominations take on baptism. The second one, that it is a time of consecration and dedication of that child into the faith. Much like what we do is baby dedication. They would take that perspective with baptism. And thirdly, that it is a picture and a commandment and a seal, of, a seal and a step of obedience uh, of following Jesus Christ. A commitment that we've already made but now we are giving testimony. We are giving identification of what Christ has done in our lives. Again, do I believe there's something mysterious that happens? And I almost hate to use that word because I can't sit here and explain to you what it is. But there's something supernaturally, spiritually that transpires uh, when we do it. And I can't identify that for you. I just I believe that to be true. So I believe it's certainly a symbol. And there's something special that happens. Uh, and Jesus commanded us to do it. And so if for no other reason we strictly do it out of obedience for our Savior, then we certainly want to do that. If you have your Bibles with me, let's begin and look uh, at what baptism is, beginning with Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And Paul is speaking here, and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? You see that term used there, baptizio? It says all those who were immersed, identified into Christ, with Christ Jesus were baptized in His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we see identification, we see affirmation, and we see rebirth. So when, you, when we do baptism here, uh, we do it... Matter of fact, we have a baptistry right there underneath those panels. And uh, we do that after the last service at least once a month. If people request, we'll do it even more often than that as, as people uh, trust Christ and come to faith. But as we do that, we invite people to come into the water. And there's a picture of coming into the death of Christ, coming into recognizing that we are dying to our old way of life. Secondly, uh, as they come into the water, I will stand before them and I'll say, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then those who have received Christ will say, yes. And I will say, because of your testimony of faith, because of your obedience to our, the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see that picture right there. Buried. See that picture? As we take people down, or as I take people, I guess you don't. Uh, as I take someone down, you see that picture of the burial. So we see Christ has died. We see that He's been buried. Just as we are buried uh, from our old sins, as they are buried and raised to walk in a new way of life, the resurrection. So you see the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You see that picture of Jesus Christ. And as we follow His example, as we follow Him in obedience, it is a public testimony of our faith, of what we believe, of who He is, of what He has done, and what He is doing and has done in our lives. So baptism is not addition to faith. It is an expression. It is an act of your faith. So that's the what of baptism. Now let's talk about who. Who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 2.38, as Peter had been preaching, and they asked him what to do, he said, repent and be baptized. So we see uh, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who have believed, those who have transferred their trust, should be baptized. In Acts 16.31, Paul to the Philippian jailer, tells him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Pisteo, believe, actively transfer your trust, adhere to, commit to. And then we see in the next couple of verses that he and his family are baptized. Why do we do baptism? Well, as I read to you earlier, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, because our Lord told us to baptize. He told us that that was about, that was what we were to be about as followers of Christ, making disciples and baptizing. 
Our leader has commanded it, and he's also done it as an example. And what's interesting in the New Testament days, and even parts of our world, it continues to be this way today, is that when you were baptized, it was very significant because many times there was great cost involved. Cost of ostracism, of maybe losing economically, and sometimes even family. Many of those who would come gather as a public display of baptism would be given would have tolerated people listening to Christianity and maybe even associating to some degree with other Christians. But once they made that commitment, that once they took that step of baptism, that was the final step. In other words, you have been baptized into this religion or this faith. Uh, Baptism was not simply unique to Christianity, the way that we did it, or the way that Jesus did it was a little different, the way that John did it was a little different. But there were other religions that practiced different forms of baptism, but that said full commitment. I am in. This is where I am putting my faith. So once you did that, there was often a significant cost. Jim Dennison, who's a pastor over in Dallas, tells the story of when he was a summer intern in Malaysia. He went over and served overseas there, and he tells the story of how Uh, after uh, one Sunday this young girl accepted Christ, she was in high school. The next Sunday they were going to have baptism. So he was sitting in the back of the church, and he noticed when he got there next to his seat that there was an old suitcase. And uh, they went through the service, and after the service the suitcase was there. And he was talking to the pastor, and he goes, I think somebody left a suitcase right there. He goes, no, actually that belongs to the young lady who was baptized. Uh, because her family informed her, if you go through with this baptism, you will no longer live at our home. There's a cost. There was a cost for Jesus when He died upon the cross. There were a cost for those who followed in believers' baptism. And there's a cost for us today. There's a cost in the sense that we completely commit our lives to Christ. And we are willing to stand for the principles of our faith We are willing to make sacrifices, though it be inconvenient to us to serve, to give, and to share. That is part of what we are agreeing to when we are obedient to the act of believers' baptism. Why are we baptized? Well, obedience, as we just talked about, it identifies us. It's a testimony. It is a picture of what has occurred. When should we do it? Well, actually, in our church, sometimes people will say, do you practice adult baptism? And actually, we don't practice adult baptism. We practice believer's baptism. When you come to that place that you make a conscious choice to trust Christ and follow Him, then we encourage you to be baptized. Why do we do that? Well, because of the examples in Scriptures. In Acts 8.37, the Ethiopian eunuch. Prayed to receive Christ, he was baptized. Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, prays to receive Christ, follows in believer's baptism. Acts chapter 10, verse 47 through 49, Cornelius and his family trust Christ, he is baptized. We see it with Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Trust Christ, her family is baptized. Later on that chapter, Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, what must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes. He trusts Christ. Then he's baptized. When? Uh, It is my understanding, interpretation of Scripture, the when is once we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The where? Well, you know what? You can really do it anywhere. 
anywhere, any public display of your faith. We, you know where we did our very first baptisms uh, at our church? We did it in the community pool. It was a 66-year-old uh, woman and a 68-year-old man. Uh, it was over in Lantana in the swimming pool one morning at 8.30. I called and said, can we do a baptism in there? Because uh, we didn't have any other place to go. Uh, later on, we, we used a, a little church every once in a while. Matter of fact, we had a couple of members that let us come and use their hot tub, particularly in the cold months. And, uh, and now we have a baptistry here, uh, right here under, underneath those panels. And we do it after the last service. So the where, in, in my opinion, in my understanding of Scripture, is not a major factor. How? How? Well, this is one of those issues, again, that people divide over. And there are three theological terms uh, for different types of baptism. The first one is called aspersion. That simply means sprinkling. People are sprinkled with water. second one is known as effusion, and that's actually with an A. And it is the act of pouring. And usually when the water is poured, it's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So water is poured over the head and sprinkling the same. The, uh, the child or the individual is sprinkled. And then the third one would be that of immersion. Immersion, which means to submerge, to go under. Uh, the same Greek word baptizio means to dip. When they would take dye and they would dip a garment into it. As you'll recall, if you were watching the video, as the rabbi stated, uh, John the Baptist, uh, we call him Baptist, and just always remember he was not a Baptist. Uh, the Baptist denomination didn't even exist uh, 300 years ago. And I know you can get these ridiculous little pamphlets that put it all the way back to the cross. Just burn that and save yourself some uh, decency and respect. Uh, but here, here's the deal, okay? He was John the uh, Immerser. Baptizio. Why do we immerse? Because we believe that's what Christ did. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Beginning with the 11th verse. Matthew chapter 3. Beginning with verse 11. Then we're going to skip down to verse 13. John speaking here. I baptize you with the water of repentance. I baptizio. John the Immerser, I baptize you with the water of repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Skip down to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. We see Jesus at age 30, perfect, without sin, coming to be baptized. Not because He needs the washing away of His sins, but He is showing solidarity with mankind. Also, let me say this. Jesus, I, I, I very much believe also that it is the beginning of His ministry. It is the recognition that He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. John has been doing a baptism of repentance and now Jesus comes. And this is why, Jesus tells us why He wants to be baptized. Uh, he's doing it in obedience to Christ, in obedience to God. As John says in verse 14, he tried to deter him. I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me, and Jesus says right here in chapter 3, verse 15, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want to be obedient. I want to follow God in all things. Then John 
consented. Then the next verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. Okay, here's what we can all agree on at a minimum. That Jesus was in water. Why? Because He had to come out of the water. And there are debates for centuries. What happened while He was in water? Did they pour it over His head? Did they sprinkle it over His head? Again, because of the Greek, because of baptizio, because John was the immerser, I really believe that he was immersed. And I think there's a picture for us of baptism. Obviously, people that I respect greatly disagree. But this is my best understanding of Scripture. I believe that that's what occurred and that's what is being communicated here. So we see the mode of baptism being displayed to us. I want to ask you to just stop for a moment and uh, we're going to have an offering here and then we're going to have communion afterwards. And so I would ask that you stick around for that if possible. This doesn't mean the service is over. Uh, but I want to stop right now and I want all of us to just take a moment and, and pray and remember. And if you've never trusted Christ, then I want to invite you to do that today. If you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to be baptized. I want to encourage you uh, to take that little slip, that little card, uh, that little tear-off in your bulletin. Tear that off. And if everyone would, just tear that off. Those of you who are members, just put your name on it. If you're a visitor, put as much information as you feel comfortable. If, you're, if you want to know more about what it means to be baptized or what it means to follow Christ, then I want to invite you to just check that. If you think, I'm ready to follow through with baptism, check that on that card and we want to talk to you. I want to sit down and visit with you about that. Why? Because Jesus asked us to. Because our leader and Savior has asked us to do that. And it's even more it's even richer and more full than that. But if that was all, that would be enough. If we are really committed. Uh, same picture, I look at it in, in this manner. If I join a team, and that team all has jerseys, and I go, I'm just going to wear my own. I'm not really committed. I'm not really a team player. I've not really made a commitment. I've made a, it's all about me. This is all about Him. Another identifying mark of the believer that Christ has commanded and led us to participate in is that of communion, that of the Lord's Supper. The word Eucharist means giving thanks. It means thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles, let's look very briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul is speaking here as he recounts the last night before Jesus would ultimately give His life. In verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after the supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we are commanded in verse 25 to remember. Why are we commanded to remember? Well, we forget many things. Many of us will forget birthdays. We'll forget anniversaries. We'll forget important historical events. We'll just forget appointments. One of the reasons that we consistently... And regularly, 
Uh, we don't do it every week, but we do it at least a couple times a month. It's because we are commanded to remember, remember the Lord and His sacrifice and the covenant that He has made for us that has been given and offered to us through His blood. We are to rejoice according to verse 26. We are to proclaim what we believe. It is a testimony to those who are in the world that this is our faith, this is our Savior. And as you read on in verse 27 and 28, we are commanded to examine and to confess. Confess our sins and examine our hearts. So when we come to the table of grace, when we come to the table of the Lord, we are to look back and to remember. We are to look ahead and look in and examine ourselves. We are to look up as we recognize for whom we serve and where the blessing of salvation has come from. We are to look around and see those in the body of Christ that we all come to the table together, all of one spirit, regardless of what our political positions are, regardless of where we live, regardless of what we think. Christ unites all of us who believe and have trusted Him as our Savior. We look forward in anticipation to the return of Jesus Christ. And we look out as we share our testimony with the world. Two forms of identification. Baptism and communion. I want to close with this. Tony Campalo tells the story of when he was about a seven-year-old boy. He said, I was in church one Sunday... And it was a Sunday that we were, we were serving communion. And I'll never forget, the pastor asked us to prepare our hearts for this time. And I noticed this lady in front of me. She was young. She was probably only 21 or 22. And she began to cry. And later on, she began to shake. And I could tell that she was very upset about something. And as the communion tray was passed and the bread came by, she just kind of waved it off. And I'll never forget what my father did. My father reached up and he put his hand on her shoulder and he said, This is for you. Christ has done this for you. This is for you. Go ahead. Receive. And she nodded her head and she received a communion. Why? Because she was perfect? Because she had no sin in her life? No. Why? Same reason for you and I that we come. Because she was broken and she recognized her need. She recognized who she was compared to who He is and what He's given. And you know who shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper? First of all, those who don't believe should not partake. But secondly, those who come, just like Paul, matter of fact, very strongly addresses those who were taking it lightly, those who were getting drunk, quite frankly, those who had an air of judgment about others and were unwilling to wait for them to come and to participate. So today, how does that translate? Those who don't believe and those who are arrogant enough to decide who should and who shouldn't. Those who come with an arrogance and a sense of self-righteousness need to confess and prepare their heart. This is a table for those who recognize their need for Jesus Christ and who are trusting Him with their life.